The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I loved our, our time of praise and worship. I mean, I, I tell Pastor Jared, we've just, we've just never had a dry service ever once. I mean, I love to come together and, and give thanks and celebrate and praise and worship and the, the wonderful anointing on the, the, the praise and the worship. There are times where I'll get up here and just think like, well, I'm kind of getting in the way, aren't I? You know, I mean, everything is moving in that direction of giving thanks, but I want to take that and carry it into the word. The idea of, of singing hallelujah, that, that word in its translation means shout unto God. It's, it's really a, a, a war cry, a battle cry. I love the song. I mean, this song, it was a really uh, a, a wonderful thing to hear Jared fire it up and lead into it. That song had been on my heart through, through the week uh, and, and was singing it during different projects and things like that. So when he began that song, I just thought, wow, this is great. The idea of that word hallelujah being released from your mouth is more than just a, a sweet biblical word that is sung in, in gratitude. I mean, it really is a declaration, it's a request even, for God to move on your behalf. Uh, it's, it's a word that we would say in celebration. I mean, if someone were to send me a text and say, you know, hey, uh, my, my wife and I worked that out, or, or hey, that breakthrough at work finally happened, or, or you know, something like that that would require a, a, or inspire a positive response, my response might be something like, hallelujah, you know, and, and it's this, this declaration to shout unto God to, to move on, on your behalf, or a declaration that he's done so, and I love when we come together, so I want to stay in that attitude as we get into the word with that same mindset of hallelujah, that God is moving on our behalf, that he's moving on our behalf and he's leading and guiding us in the direction that we should go. So as we get into the word, here's a few things that we're going to find. If you're taking notes, you can jot these things down, things to look forward to. I encourage uh, uh, doing things like that so that you can stay engaged as we move through the word together. One thing we're going to find is what God's grace and compassion looks like. Now, it's kind of a goofy way to say it, but you'll, you'll bear with me. I mean, what his grace and compassion looks like in your life, how it's packaged or how it's delivered. Now, it's going to vary from person to person, obviously, but the word promises that God is gracious and compassionate. He identifies himself as such. He's gracious and compassionate, and I want to know what that means. I mean, what does it mean for God to be gracious in my life? What does it mean for him to be compassionate toward me We'll see in the scripture how that manifests, and it'll help us to embrace what he's doing in our life in a stronger, more intentional way. A second thing that we're going to find is how to be children of God, how to be a child of God. There's a couple of passages of scripture. There's, there's not one that would be limited to the way to be a child of God, but we're going to look at one specifically that I think when we apply it intentionally to our lives, we're going to enjoy the results that we get there. And then a third thing that we're going to find is how to keep on the right path, how to stay on the right track. I mean, whatever word you would want to use for path or track, how to just stay on task, that's a really important and powerful thing. I mean, I, my own life would be a, a series of choices and decisions. Some of those are in line with what God is doing in my life. Some of those, unfortunately, on occasion are outside 
of what God is doing in my life. And my goal as a believer is to stay on track with what God is doing in my life. And, and we'll see a, a passage of scripture that will help us to do that, to introduce that consistency in our choices and decisions that will keep us moving in the right direction at all times. So if you have your Bibles there as we get started, turn to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 30. I mentioned before we're going to find out what God's grace and his compassion looks like in your life. I want to look in Isaiah chapter 30 and find out just that. So the first thing that we said we're going to find, we're going to find it here. Isaiah chapter 30, I want to begin in verse 18. Isaiah chapter 30, beginning in verse 18. So the scripture is revealing to us the following. It says, Therefore the Lord God longs to be gracious to you. He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord God is just. He's a God of justice. And blessed are those who long or wait for him. So we have this this passage of scripture identifying God and his desire towards your life, his desire to be gracious towards you, his desire to be compassionate towards you. Now, as we continue reading, we're going to see what that means and what that looks like. O people of Zion, inhabitants of Jerusalem, you will weep no longer. He will surely be gracious at the sound of your cry when he hears it and in compassion will answer you. It goes on to say this, he, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eye will behold your teacher. Your ears will hear a word from behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it whenever you are faced with turning to the right or to the left. I want to pause there for a second and just talk about what we've read. I mean, we see that God is desiring to be gracious toward us, that he desires to be compassionate toward us. And as we begin to see what that means, God identifies himself as being a teacher, that he's going to allow himself to be seen and heard. So if somebody were to ask me, hey, Preston, when you read this passage of scripture, what do you take away from that? I mean, for me personally, I see that the manifestation of God's graciousness and his goodness in my life is him providing himself as my instructor. Him making himself available to teach me, to lead me, to guide me. Him being so gracious and so compassionate toward me that my eye might see his example and my ear hear his instruction. Because I am faced with choices and decisions constantly. My life is a string of choices and decisions. And to have a teacher speak and and very clearly instruct which direction to go, to the right or to the left when faced with a crossroads would be this wonderful manifestation of God's love, compassion, and graciousness toward my life to lead me in the direction that leads toward prosperity, that leads toward the things of his kingdom, and all that is life-giving. When God is manifesting his graciousness and his compassionate uh, nature in our lives, he's doing so by being our teacher, our leader, and our, our guide. I want to give you a couple of passages of scripture from Jesus as he speaks to us from the gospel of John. John chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking about the Holy Spirit. He speaks of the Holy Spirit and identifies him as the helper. John 14, 26, the helper, that is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. I mean, we're having this this wonderful revelation from Jesus about the days to come with the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the very promise of God in our lives being identified as the help that we need 
And when the help that we need is identified, the help that we need is identified as teaching. So that we can remember the counsel that Jesus brings into our lives. So that we can do the things that he says. I want to give you a passage of scripture here uh, concerning what it is that we're being led into. I mean, if God's graciousness and his compassion is opening a door for us to be taught, for us to be instructed, I'm curious to know what is it that he's instructing. And I want to give you a passage of scripture here that stands out to me, and hopefully it stands out to you as important. John chapter uh, 1, I want to look at verses 12 and 13. It's speaking about receiving Jesus Christ. In fact, it talks about as many as received him. It goes on to identify uh, what takes place. As many as receive him, to him is given the right to become children of God. Even those who believe in his name, who were born not of, of blood nor of the flesh or of the will of man, but born of God. Now, there's an interesting word there that you could read right past if, if we're not careful. I mean, that as many as receive Jesus, they're given the right to become children of God. That's a really interesting passage there that makes me want to stop and, and think. That receiving Jesus opens up the door or, or the opportunity for me to have the right to be a, a child of God. Well, there's a couple of things that I think about. One, just the idea of having the right. I mean, the fact that this now is my right, it's, it's a wonderful thing to consider, that, that it's not something that is forced upon me, it's not something that is, is thrust upon me in any way that would touch or affect my will as an individual. God will never affect my will. He will always give his instruction, his counsel to influence, to lead, to guide, to correct, but he'll never take control of my life. So as this right is, is, is released into my life, I have to ask myself, what is it that's going on? As I receive Jesus and the right to be a child of God becomes a part of my life, what does that mean? I want to turn to, to the scripture for the definition of this word right. Because when I think of right as an American, I think of the Bill of Rights, I think of, of you know, things in the, the Declaration of Independence, you know, these unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think of things like that just because of, of my nationality, being a United States citizen. But the word here, I want to know, is that really what that word means? That he gave them the right to become the children of God. And when I turn to a, a, a biblical dictionary, it's a concordance, these are the definitions that I find. The word is a Greek word there, exo, uh, exo, excuse me, exousia. Exousia. I got tongue-tied there. That's the Greek word. Doesn't matter that we know the word in Greek or how to pronounce it. I want to know what it means. And so here's what exousia means. Power of choice, power of authority, power of judicial decision, authority to manage domestic affairs. Domestic affairs. I mean, like, basically what's being saying here is the, the power of the authority to mind your business, to take care of your business, to handle your stuff. What an interesting thing to see that this is opened up with the power of choice. That as many as receive Jesus now have the power of choice. I want to tell you something that took place in my life when I was born again. Now, I don't offer this as, as doctrine, and I don't throw it out there as dogma. It's just part of my testimony. So I had struggled with uh, alcohol addiction for years. And I, and I don't just mean 
you know, well, I, I hung out with the wrong crowd and enjoyed indulging in, in certain, you know, party scenes. I mean, I was just a drunk. I, I lived in the middle of nowhere. It was just me and three dogs on my front porch. I loved agriculture, and so I was, was out in the, the middle of the boonies, my closest neighbor maybe 10 miles away, and I stayed drunk morning, noon, and night. I mean, I could function as an alcoholic. I did my work. I, I ran the farm. I, I did those things. But I, I, I knew that this was destroying my life. I hated it. I would have uh, moments of clarity where I would would cry and weep and pour out all of my booze and say no more. And then just hours later, be back at the liquor store. Yeah. I mean, it was just a cycle that was uh, destructive. It had a grip on my life. It was horrible. And no matter what I said, no matter what I did, there there was no power in my choice, even though my choice would have been to separate from that because I knew it was destructive. I knew that it was, was leading to nothing prosperous in my life. I knew that it would lead to destruction, poverty, and death. I wanted to separate from it, but there was absolutely no power in my choice. Every time I chose to separate from it, I was right back to it. But then... When I was born again, everything changed. And when I was born again, it was in a, a, a small little you know, cell in Travis County Jail. I've never done any hard time or anything like that, but I'd gotten picked up for being a bad guy and was locked up. And, and in that time, some things took place, and, and, and I had a moment, a crossroads. It was a place where I was either going to choose to, to continue in this life of destruction or, or I was going to make a, a change. And in that moment, uh, there was an opportunity for pride and arrogance to swell up in me, and something just broke. I mean, I, I can't really recall every detail, but, but when I try to bring back those memories in my life, the, the things that I say are hard to put into words, but the best I can do it was like, it was like truth just washed over my life. And in an instant, I knew that everything that I was was. Uh, uh, trusting in up to that point in myself was a lie that would end up in sorrow and misery and destruction. And I I didn't really know what to say or do, but I I just acknowledged God. I remember standing there crying, and I'm telling you, Travis County Jail is not a cool place to stand around and cry, right? So I'm in this this little area, and I can't control my weeping, and I simply remember acknowledging God, saying things like, like, I'm ruining my life. You made my life. It's precious. I don't know why I would say that. I don't use words like that. But I remember that being something that was said. And, and I, I'm sorry for ruining it. Please, take my life back. You take it. You take over. You be in charge. And, I, and all that vocabulary was my best attempt to just surrender. And something happened there. I mean, it, it, was, it was amazing. There was a transformation. I mean, it, 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 I would tell you without any hesitation, ah, you could slap a, a polygraph machine on me. I would pass it. That moment was the moment I was born again. And there's been other great moments in my life where, where, where God, you know, poured out his Holy Spirit on my life. I've, I've had great manifestations of, of the power of God flow through my life and all these things that are really great additions to my testimony. But that moment, something happened. I was born again. And based on this passage of Scripture, that would have been the moment that I received him. I became of those as many as received him. And then something happened. As many as received them, he gave them the right that judicial power of choice 
to handle their affairs. I remember standing there in that cell and I could feel a change. I mean, I felt empowered. I felt like I had authority. And I remember talking to addiction. So, you know, if you're putting things like on a scale of, of what is acceptable and what's not, when you're locked up in county jail, well, well, huddled up in the corner crying, not very cool, right? Well, not too far above that, maybe a step above that, uh, standing over in a corner talking to yourself, right? That'll get you alienated real fast. But I remember talking to addiction. I remember telling addiction, you have ruined my life for too long. And no more. And because I grew up in church circles, there was vocabulary that I had imparted to my life. And, and, and for the first time ever, I said it with any authority, with any right to actually exercise that authority. I remember saying, in the name of Jesus, addiction, I command you to leave me. It's the moment I was set free from addiction. I mean, it was, it was gone. So I have to ask myself, what changed? I mean, did I hate the bondage and the affliction, and the addiction, and alcoholism, and all of those things. Did I hate all of that before? Absolutely I did. I would cry, I would weep, I would mourn, I would pour it out, I would make declarations no more, but then I would be right back in it. But then upon receiving Jesus, all of the sudden I had the right, the exousia, the power of choice, power of authority, power of ju judicial decisions, authority to manage domestic affairs. For the first time ever, my choices and decisions had some oomph. Is that a Hebrew word, oomph? <laughs> they actually had effect. When I read this passage of Scripture, that's what I see, that's what I, I can relate to in my testimony. That we have a helper, uh, one who's leading us and guiding us. That, that as many as receive Jesus, when we become born again, we're given the right to become the children of God. Now I want to know, what does that mean? What would it mean for me to be a child of God? I'll give you a passage of scripture here as we move forward. I told you before we're going to find how to be children of God. Romans 8.14. Romans 8.14 says, all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. I have to believe in that moment of exercising my right, the exousia, the judicial authority. I have to believe that God's Spirit was at work in me, leading me and guiding me through those moments. At a time when there was no counselor around, there was no program around, there was no minister around, there was nothing around to give instruction for what to do next, choices and decisions were made with tremendous power and authority. And I believe with all of my heart that those choices and decisions were made at the inspiration and the leading of the Holy Spirit. That when we're led by the Spirit of God, we're functioning and operating in that God-given right to be children of God. So I want to offer a couple of things because I, I want to take this and separate it from, you know, once upon a time in Travis County Jail to, hey, last Tuesday, last Wednesday, last Thursday. And let's talk about next Monday and next Tuesday. I mean, this needs to be applied to our everyday life. Not just something that, that takes place when we're born again, but rather this is how we live our lives. So there's a few things that I want to offer that I see in the Scripture that identify children of God. And I want us to take these things down with this in mind. I'd like to apply these passages of Scripture to my behavior, to my words, to my choices and my decisions to simply ask, am I being led by the Spirit of God to exercise my God-given right to be a child of God 
Or am I functioning under some other mentality, some other authority, some other motivation? So here's a few uh, spiritual paternity tests, you might call them. Are we being children of God? Let me give you one of these just to fire it up. I'll give you one out of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. This identifies two groups of children, right? By this, children of God and children of the devil are obvious. Okay, so if I were to offer you those two groups, which group would you want to be a part of? I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer, right? Yeah, so by this, it's obvious... These two groups are are set apart. By this, children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one that does not love his brother. This this call for us to to practice righteousness, that doesn't mean you can never fail or that you can never mess up. This means your, your commitment to do what's right is important. It's priority. That doing what's right versus what's wrong really isn't just relative or subject to your interpretation. Rather, we're devoted to doing what's right. Even when we fail and we do what's wrong, our desire is to make it right as quickly as possible. I remember pastoring a a small congregation in uh, Oklahoma. And in this congregation, there was a a number of, of individuals that took issue with some of the messages and the sermons that were delivered. They found them to be harsh and and very difficult to to receive. Now, I want to tell you this, that in this congregation, there was a a strong spirit of rebellion. It was in a very uh, uh, liberal community of of higher learning, large university town, and and some of the messages that were preached would have been considered uh, harsh just because they contained scripture. I mean, it was really an odd environment to work in. And so I remember meeting with this person, and my commitment was to hear and to listen, to find out, and and let's let's work through this in a godly way, because I'm obviously here wanting to to expand the kingdom of God and see the things of God. You're here to be a part of that, so surely we can work this out. And we sat down and and began to talk, and, you know, the the message came up that was uh, found to be offensive as it concerned uh, certain things, and and I, I... let the guy speak and listen and, and just let him take off. And as he was talking and saying these things, he, he made a comment to me. And it was really the first time that I injected my thought into the conversation because it was just time for there to be a, a thought injected. And, and as he began to tell all of his thoughts and feelings toward things, he just sat back and said, You have to be perfect to go to church here. And then there was a pause and a gap that was appropriate to respond to. And so without it being argumentative or aggressive in any way, I I made this comment back to him. I said, "I, I hear what you're saying, and I would like to offer my perspective on that. I don't believe that you need to be perfect to feel comfortable coming to church here. But I do believe you need to be comfortable with being perfected. Because God is at work in all of us, leading us into perfection. That's his promise. He who began a good work in you will perfect that work until the day of the Lord. 
So the conversation took a massive shift and a massive change there. There's a, a, a need and an awareness in us that, that though we will have failures and issues and challenges in our life, the call of God on our life is not to go without having any of those things, but rather when those things take place, be quick to be teachable, to learn, to cast down those ways that are not of his kingdom and to embrace the ways that are. Not that we're required to be perfect, but that we are called to be perfected. I want to give you another passage of scripture here from Matthew, Matthew 5, 9. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I have to ask myself, in the situations that I'm facing and the things that I'm dealing with, am I making peace? Because if I'm functioning as a son of God, being led by the Spirit of God to operate in the rights that I have as a believer, having received Jesus, being given the right to be a son of God, the son of God being one who is led by the Spirit of God, in this situation, am I making peace? It's an interesting thing to think about. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I mean, there have been plenty of times where uh, the making of peace has been relative. I mean, I thought I was a peacemaker because I didn't punch someone in the face, right? Well, that's just managing yourself. That's just self-control. That's doing what's right and what you're supposed to do. The question is, are we making peace? Not just are we allowing for peace to exist, but are we making peace? Blessed are the peacemakers. So here's just an example. It's a little bit detached from this, but I'd like for you to, to just take it as an example. There have been a few occasions where I've spoken or said things uh, to my wife that were received as unkind, right? So as I've said those things, then she's pointed out, well, that's, that's mean or that's unkind, to which my response is, well, I'm not trying to be mean. Any husband ever said that before? Did it work? Did it improve the situation? Did anyone say, well, like, well as long as you weren't trying to be, it's okay. I mean, it's still wrong, right? But I really wasn't trying to be mean. And so I kept leaning on that. Well, I wasn't trying to be mean. I promise you, I wasn't trying to be mean. I wasn't trying to be mean. And finally, her response, which was, I believe, like a, a, a word of knowledge, or not a word of knowledge, excuse me, a word of wisdom, like inspired by the Holy Spirit, she, she looked at me, and as I'm saying, I wasn't trying to be mean, I wasn't trying to be mean, she just stopped me and said, well, you weren't trying to be kind. And I realized something, that it's not my job just to not be mean, I need to be trying to be kind. It's not just about kind of hitting on the zero, but let's get beyond, you know, mean, aggressive, nasty, and whatever, and not just take it to zero, but let's go the other way with it. Let's be nice, gentle, kind. Let's, let's, let's accelerate this thing in the other direction intentionally and on purpose. Well, I, I take that principle and I apply it here when I hear that the sons of God are peacemakers. It's not enough that we don't just... Uh, cause strife or, or, or that we just don't make things worse or that we just don't pop off and, and, and go nuts when we're provoked. We're expected to, to not pop off and go nuts. We're expected to not make things worse. I mean, that, that comes with the life of the believer. The question is, are we making peace? Are we going the accelerating the other way to see to it that peace exists? And when I apply that to a lot of situations in my life, I identify that that I might be falling short on being led by God's Spirit in that situation. I may be being led by my own desires or my own uh, ambitions or my own uh, 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 thoughts, or even if they're 
with good intention, they're still going to fall short of what God is doing. I want to give you another one of these things, uh, identifying children of God and how they look and how they appear and how they function and behave. Matthew chapter 5, I want to look at verses 44 and 45. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So that you may be sons of your Father that is in heaven. I have to ask myself, when people bring trouble into my life, do I pray for them? I've mentioned this before, so it may sound pretty familiar, but I used to pray about them. And I realized praying about them is not praying for them. Praying about them just means you're taking the issue to God and kind of fussing or whining in a righteous way. The Bible calls that lamentations, and it's okay. It's actually a a good thing to do. If you're going to vent, there's no safer person to vent to than God, right? So I've prayed about my, my... you know, enemies, or, or enemies might be too strong a word, the, the people that have made things difficult or hard or, or have been uh, uh, introducing obstacles into my life. I've prayed about them plenty, but to be a child of God, I'm not simply called to pray about them, I'm called to pray for them. Well, praying about them would be taking the issue to God. You know, Father, this guy's being a real jerk. Can you straighten him out, please? Just, you know, work him over, whatever it takes. Get me out of this bind. Get me out of this jam. Let this guy, you know, see the error of his ways and let all these things change. I mean, praying about the problem is one thing, but praying for the enemy or for the stumbling block is altogether different. When I think of praying for someone, I have to interpret the way the word for is used in the scripture. I mean, we use it in our songs and in our our declarations. I mean, we talk about God not being against us, but being for us. Yeah. And so this is really the same thing that's being spoken. We're being called to pray for our enemies. I mean, we're asking God not just to to handle the issue or fix the problem, but we want to see God actually bless them, be for them. In the same measure that you are for me, let my heart long that you be for them. Let me tell you something, that is easier said than done. I mean, natural tendencies are to, to not be for those who afflict, not be for those who annoy, not be for those who, who add burden. It's a very difficult thing to, to be able to be for those who are making life difficult. But yet, that's what a child of God does. That's what one who's being led by the Holy Spirit does. That's what one who's exercising their exosusa, the, 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 excuse me, the, 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 the power of choice uh, the, the, the power of judicial decision, the authority to manage domestic affairs, that's what they do. And because of our receiving Jesus Christ, because of the leading of the Holy Spirit, we can exercise that power of choice. I want to give you a, another one here from Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. I want to look at verses 14 and 15. We use Philippians chapter 2 often because it is basically a Swiss army knife of passages of scripture. It can be applied to virtually any Christian message that is released. I mean, Philippians chapter 2 is a wonderful passage of scripture to soak on because of its ability to apply to almost any part of your life. 
Philippians 2, I want to look at verses 14 and 15, though. Remember, we're wanting to identify what children of God look like, what people who are being led by the Holy Spirit, exercising their God-given right uh, to, to use choice and decision. What does that look like? Philippians 2 says it looks like this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Disputing is a great word for complaining. Do all things without grumbling or complaining so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as light in the world. Well, there's a lot there you could unpack. I mean, your, your entire testimony is, is riding on, on this. Your appearance to the world as light in the midst of darkness is riding on this. It, it, it's a call to live a life free from grumbling, free from complaining. Obviously, the opposite of complaint is gratitude. Living a life of thanksgiving. And this life of thanksgiving, this absence of complaint and, and grumbling, proves something. It identifies something to the world. It identifies or proves that we're functioning or operating in our identity as children of God. So when I'm faced with a circumstance or a situation, when I find myself grumbling, when I find myself complaining, which I must confess, I find myself often grumbling and complaining. I have to stop and ask, where did I miss your leading, Holy Spirit? You are my helper. You are the voice that, that instructs me which direction to turn, to the right or to the left. And obviously, I missed a turn. Because here I am finding myself behaving in such a way outside of your leadership, outside of your direction, outside of that which my God-given right should lead me to, a place where I can be grateful. Because I have so much to be grateful for. I want to be led. I want to be directed. And I want to move in the way in which I'm called to go so that I don't find myself far off track from where I'm supposed to be. Let me give you another one from 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It reads like this. Now, this one we may have to read between the lines just a touch, but I think you'll understand where I'm going with it. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knows us not, because it knew him not. It's that last line there that stands out to me. I mean, obviously, we're looking for passages of Scripture that talk about or identify our sonship or our, our being children of God. And in this case, being a child of God is the result of the love of God. But then a description is attached to the end of it. Because the world rejects or doesn't know him, the world rejects or doesn't know us. I have to ask myself, does the spirit of this age have any issue with Preston Humphreys? Do I blend right into the world? Do I say the things, same things they're saying? Do I think the same things they're thinking? Do I have the same views and perspectives? Do I have the same convictions as the spirit of this age? Or am I counter to the popular culture? Is the kingdom culture inside of me counterculture to the popular culture that is the loud voice in this world right here and now? And if I examine myself and I find that I blend right into the world, I need to ask myself, at what point did I take a wrong turn? Because to be led by the Spirit of God, to exercise that choice and decision to be a son of God should lead me to the place 
where I look different than the rest of the world. Not for the purpose of creating conflict, not for the purpose of creating hardship because I am a peacemaker, but to do things in the way that God would lead us to do things is to do things in the way in which it looks different to the way the world does them. I want to give you a a final one here as we begin to close. As we're led by the Spirit of God, as we're exercising our right to uh, be sons and daughters of God, to be children of God, led by the Holy Spirit, this final one that I want to offer you is broad and wide-reaching. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Galatians 3, verse 26. For you are all sons of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. When I'm facing or dealing with anything and I'm wanting to evaluate, am I being led by the Holy Spirit? Am I exercising my God-given right to function and operate as a child of God in this situation? I have to ask myself, am I trusting Jesus in this? It's amazing to me, even as a, a Christian and a believer uh, for years, how often I'm not pleased with my answer to that question. I find that I'm trusting myself. I find that I'm trusting, you know, my, my thoughts, my strategy, my, my own strength. It just depends whether it's physical, mental, whether it's a financial decision. I might be trusting my judgment way more than I'm trusting my faith in Jesus Christ. Am I trusting Jesus in this? Or am I being led by something else? Most of the choices and decisions in my life do not make sense if you only filter them through the way the world makes choices and decisions. It doesn't make sense to to give. It doesn't make sense to share. It doesn't make sense uh, to, to, to travel, to minister, to go to hostile places. It doesn't make sense to do those things if you're led by self-preservation or the desire to prosper yourself. But yet those are the things that God will lead every believer to. As he leads and guides you into your purpose, your calling, your anointing as his child, he will lead you and guide you into situations and circumstances that the world would, would see as foolish. But throughout those, it is your trust in Jesus Christ that carries you through those things as you live out your life as a child of God. I want to offer this to you as we close, and it's how to stay on the right path, because really consistency is the key. Being able to to get on the right path is one thing. Being able to stay on the right path is another. To to get to our destination where we're called to, to arrive and, and without deviation, without a, a lot of uh, detours, is really the goal, to be led and guided by the Holy Spirit as we move through our lives. That word, that promise from Isaiah, was that we would hear a voice from behind us as we're being led, as we're being guided. That voice would speak, telling us which way to turn. Meaning that choices and decisions will either keep you on the right track or they will take you off of the right track. This is a passage of scripture that I want to offer in closing. How to stay on the right track. It's from the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3. I want to look at verses 5 and 6. Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6. It's a call to trust God. It says, trust the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. But in all of your ways, acknowledge him. And he'll make your path straight. 
It's that last part there that I think is really worth stopping and identifying. What does that mean? I mean, if, if the call here is to stay on a straight path and the, the instruction is to, in all of your ways, acknowledge him, I have to ask myself, what does it mean to acknowledge him? What am I acknowledging? Am I simply acknowledging his existence? Am I acknowledging his word? Am I acknowledging his counsel? What am I acknowledging here? And I think when you take this with the rest of the scripture, it's important to acknowledge that he is present to teach, that he's present to lead, that he's present to guide. That when we're faced with choices and decisions where we could either move one way or the next, that we have a call to acknowledge what is Jesus saying? What is being spoken by the Holy Spirit, the helper, the teacher that God paid the highest price to bring into my life so that when I'm faced with this crossroads, I'll know which way to turn, to the right or to the left? How is it that I can walk through this situation in such a way that I might have the authority, the power of choice to make uh, uh, decisions that are backed by the authority of the name of Jesus and backed by the power of the Holy Spirit. How can I operate in my God-given right to not simply be a believer or a Christian in this situation or circumstance, but function as the Bible speaks as a son of God, equipped and empowered with all that I need to walk in the victory that God's called me to walk in? The answer to that is I need to acknowledge him. Jesus, I need your direction. I need your counsel. I need you to teach me. I need to humble my heart and not just believe that I know what to do, but I need confirmation that what I am doing is what you are teaching. Where I am going is where you are leading. I want to walk in my right as a child of God so that the choices and the decisions that I make are in the power and the authority of your kingdom and are effective to your glory. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray and I want to ask God to do a work in our hearts and minds for the purpose of leading us and guiding us into functioning in our God-given right to be children of God. That we might be led and guided into being led and guided. And it's an interesting thing, and I know that you come to a point like this in a service, and it's very easy to begin to, to take on the mentality that we're winding down, but this is really the point. I mean, the, it's the finish line. It's, it's, it's the goal. And I want to just share this thought with you. If you were to walk into any of the, the Christian bookstores that may exist here in our city, and, and you were to look through their shelves, you would find sections devoted to leading. Leadership, volumes and volumes of books written on leadership. And if you were to go to the counter and just say, hey, I found all of your sections on leadership, but where I need help is following. Do you have any books on being led? You might hear crickets chirp. And for us as believers, that's really where we've been positioned. That's the prayer that I want to pray is, Father, help us to be people who can be led. Lead us to be led. Make us to be teachable. Teach us to be teachable. Lead us to be led. Let a work be done in our hearts 
that we might see you as our teacher, our leader, our God. Let our ears be attentive to your word as you lead us which way to turn when faced with choices and decisions. And let all that we do be done in such a way that we walk in our right as your sons and daughters. Let our choices and our decisions be empowered that they might have an effect and an impact not only on our lives but the lives of those around us. That's the point. I want to pray and I want to ask God to do a work. There's no more effective or powerful minister in the room than the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask that God, by the Spirit, do a work in our hearts and our minds, that he lead us to be led. There where you stand, you're welcome to be in a mentality of agreement or simply receiving. But by faith, I want to pray, trusting and believing that God works in each of us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your affection for each of us. Even now, as you begin to touch our hearts and our minds, as you begin to minister to us, let us be aware of the wonders of your loving kindness toward us. Let new and increased awareness of your love toward us wash over our hearts and minds. Let it prepare the soil of our heart to receive the seed of your work that we would trust and know that you are doing a great and mighty work in us. That we would see clearly that you have our best intentions in mind. Even when we don't feel it or don't believe it by what we see, let it be known in our heart that you are our Father. You have called us your own and that you're leading and guiding us into the most wonderful, glorious life. Right here and now, I'm asking in Jesus' name, will you lead us to be led Will you teach us to be taught? Cause our ears to be attentive to the voice of your Spirit, leading us and guiding us in the decisions and choices that we would make. Give us pause when faced with decision and choice to acknowledge you. That we wouldn't be so arrogant to take on the, the choices and decisions of our lives ourselves, but that we might stop, acknowledge you, and be led in a path that would be called straight. And let the right that you have so blessed us with upon receiving Jesus be exercised in all that we do that we might have that authority of choice to manage our affairs in a powerful and effective way. And let the fruitfulness of our lives as we're led by your Spirit be evangelistic. That those around us would see the power of your kingdom flowing in and through our choices and decisions and be drawn to inquire of you. And let the end result be your kingdom's expansion, your name being glorified, Jesus being exalted, and light being victorious over darkness. We bless your name and we thank you. As you teach us to be taught, as you lead us to be led, let our lives continue to bring you more and more honor and glory with every choice and every decision. We bless your name and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declaring, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.